0: Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here at First Christian Church. If you're a guest with us, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne, and I'm part of the pastoral team, and I'm looking forward to spending some time in Scripture with you today. If you'll take your Bible, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. It's about almost towards the end of the Bible. It's good to have all of you here in the West Auditorium, as well as those of you in the East, and everybody watching online and our friends, obviously, also in, in Lovington. It's good to have you all here. While you're looking for Ephesians chapter 6, just a brief note about our ongoing renovations here in this building. Uh, Thank you for your patience. Mostly that's what we really want you to be aware of, that we've made a lot of strides in the last couple weeks. Uh, There's more work to be done yet, particularly in the cafe that's coming either perhaps just before Christmas or right thereafter. But hang with us. We're we're giving everything a fresh coat of paint and new carpet, new floorings everywhere. And um, there's a great team working on it. Just be mindful of, uh, if you come in during the week particularly, it's going to be a little bit messy and crazy. So uh, we're well underway. Thanks for your patience in that regard. So, to start our time together today, something that I've just learned recently, and that is that the cars we drive in the 21st century are designed today in response to a tragic phenomena that cost many, many lives during World War II. Go, okay, well, how is World War II related to the cars that I drive today, or the car that I drive today? Well, here's the story. America entered the war in 1941, and really, we didn't have a, a reliable plane of World War II technology available. And so, um, the B-17 was created. It went from the drawing board to actually going down the runway in a mere 12 months. An rem- uh, engineering mark- remarkable endeavor, if you will. It became, if you will, the fearsome workhorse of the United States Air Force. Uh, the pilots loved it for its toughness. It could um, roar through squalls of angry bullets and shrapnel and come out the other side, part marked and messed up completely, but still able to fly through the air. And the planes were just remarkable in the way in which they were put together. But there was a problem in... 22 months after the plane was first put into play, there were 457 crashes of the planes, not in war, but as the planes were landing. Engineers and investigators couldn't figure out why so many planes were crashing after they'd made it through the battle, after they made it through all the struggle, why were they actually getting to the runway? And invariably, the pilots weren't putting down the landing gear. They would come in and they would literally nosedive into the runway. Why? After the war was figured out. It wasn't really the pilot's fault per se. It was a design error. That if you were to reach under the seat and you wanted to um, uh, have the, um, the, the flaps move down so the plane would go down. Or so have, have the wheels come down. There were two levers there. I always forget. We levers are levers here in this, in this country. Levers, OK? If you're new here, I'm an Australian, so I always forget some things like like, um, when you're driving, do you look through the windscreen or the windshield? windshield. Ah, OK. I, I, windscreen, it always comes up for me, but nonetheless, these levers, levers, were down there, and they were exactly alike in terms of color, tension and feel. And so pilots would be coming in for a landing and they were thinking they were pulling up the lever the lever, for the, um, for the, wing, for the wheels to come down, when in fact they were pushing the flaps down and the plane would land and crash into the ground, no wheels. Because both those levers, I'll get it right yet, both those levers were exactly alike. And the, the solution to that, make them different. Make it harder to pull on them to know which one to choose. And a new industry grew up out of the loss of those lives. It's called design coding. Namely, it'd be a whole lot easier for the people who make cars and for us to drive cars if if every button was exactly the same. If our gear shift lever was the same as our turn signal and it would be a whole lot less expensive, everything could be all made the same. But we need our brains to notice the difference between this lever versus that button. I mean, the knobs on your radio are different than the knobs that you use to turn the lights on, right? And they're different than the things that you use to set your cruise control. Everything is different intentionally, making it, believe it or not, harder to drive because in the long run, you'll do things by rote. And if if you're reaching for the gear lever and it feels like the turn signal, you're going to go, that's not right. It's all done so that it's more difficult to drive, to learn to drive, but the result is that um, our our lives are safer. It'd be easier for the car companies to just say, we'll do it all the same. When it comes to ease and wanting things to be kind of pleasant, we'd like life to be all the same. We'd like life to just be, okay, I'm going to get up every day and it's going to be just one sweet day at the beach, day after day after day. But the reality is, I've got a hard word for you today, that while Christians, while we enjoy a foundational peace in life through Jesus Christ, we know where we stand with God, Christianity is not a guaranteed life of ease. There are things that we have to learn. There are different levers that we have to pull. There are different buttons we have to push. There are things that we need to know what to do rather than just kind of easing through life. Because the reality is, walking with Christ is not simply um, a case of reaching below your seat and pulling on whatever is right there. The B-17 engineers saved lives when when they made landing more difficult. And we're going to see that today as we examine an important passage of Scripture that, well, I must tell you, at first glance, it's going to look a little bit odd. But it really is a big part of the story of our lives and the overall story of Scripture. So if you're new with us today, we've been making our way through Scripture and saying we're telling the big meta-narrative, the big story over 13 weeks. And if we've been doing that, We've said that the Bible's narrative starts when everything is great and good and well in Genesis. But then sin and the work of Satan enters the story and a struggle is brought into humanity's existence. And the human experience since Genesis is literally a struggle of good versus bad. It reaches an apex in Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, and resurrection. But we are still in a struggle, even while the apex has already taken place. We're waiting for the days of revelation when all is well again. And that's what we're going to look at next week. But for today, though, we're going to focus on the portion of the biblical story that is, in fact, this is the word for it, war. A very real struggle between good and evil, God and Satan, Christians versus demonic forces. See, as we're putting this series together, we could have at this point kind of focused on some of the really sweet parts of um, what's left of the New Testament, if you will. We could talk about how Christians are supposed to live lives of holiness and worship and evangelism and Bible study and all that is appropriate. Pastor Brian left us last week with this wonderful news of grace that is made through the gift of Jesus Christ. And with that, the church was put into play and there was going to be this, there's this great missionary endeavor that the church starts and it's all really cool stuff. And the majority of the New Testament follows that story. And there are all sorts of instructions for, for Christians in that story. You can read There's chatter about family life that... Children are supposed to honor their parents and parents aren't supposed to exasperate their kids. Uh, You can read about living a life of love, making the most of every moment. There's talk about unity in in congregations and taking on this great mission for God's glory. As a matter of fact, there's even this very unusual passage in Romans chapter 16 where it says that we should greet one another with a holy kiss. What? What's that about? Well, we'll come to that in a few minutes, but my focus is not today on, I mean, my focus today is not on all the various really cool things that we can say about Christian living and being people of righteousness. Instead, I want to review the reality of where we really live. Read with me Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, Paul is saying, this is at the end of his book, Paul the Apostle, he's the guy who's writing, he's probably the premier writer and theologian of the early church. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. What do you mean schemes? The devil's out against me? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, where's that? So in light of that, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. This is a metaphor of what a guy dressed in armor is going to look like. So you've got the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with your readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish. Extinguish what? All the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which, which is the word of God. So all this got this metaphor of this person standing, kind of dressed in medieval armor, if you will. And then, Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. He's in prison as he's writing. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And some of you, some of us, We have some legitimate questions right now. Um, What's all this about? Devil's schemes and forces of evil in the heavenly realms, where's that? And I think a reasonable question is, are you kidding me? Now, I want you to glance back at the end of the previous chapter, chapter 5. What do you see there? There's all this talk about a happy home and parents getting along with kids and it all being really cool. Go back to the chapter before that. You have a vision of a happy congregation. All this wonderful stuff about Christian life. And like I said, all the things that we could look at here in this week, focusing on living life as a Christian. But then after all the sweetness, suddenly the Apostle Paul, the writer, he jumps into this very strange language about battles, spiritual battles. Why? Well, it's very intentional. It's a stark contrast to what he's written about before. It's a, it's a rude, if you will, abrupt awakening. Paul is reminding us that walking with Jesus has some really sweet moments. Our eternal destiny is secured. We, um, our sins are forgiven. Shame and guilt are gone. And Paul is saying, in, in the midst of your euphoric joy of walking with Christ... Remember, there's a very large saga in play of which you have a part. There's a spiritual war. And again, some probably are going, right, right. I mean, I'm I'm all into the stuff about loving my neighbor like myself and putting someone else first and uh, going the extra mile with somebody and being careful how I treat people and being kind. I'm into all of that. But what's with that business? Spiritual warfare? Well, in a nutshell... The Bible tells us that eons before human existence came along, in the vast moments before the cosmos, that's actually, cosmos is a Greek word that that is a a word that talks about everything that's created, a full universe. In the the vast timeless moments before the cosmos was created, apparently there was trouble in heaven. There was an an attempted coup d'etat against God. The Bible says, this is how it went down, that Lucifer, one of the leading angels in heaven, got a bunch of angels with him and said, you know what, let's kick God out of heaven and let's, you and me, let's run, let's run this place. And they rebelled, they lost. The result, Scripture tells us, is that Lucifer was thrown out of heaven. In the New Testament, we know him as Satan. We also learn that the angels that kind of aligned themselves with him They also were thrown out of heaven, and we know them in the New Testament as demons. And since then, Satan and his demons have warred against God. And the arc of this story of scripture that we've been bringing to week after week, it depicts the struggle of humanity since creation. And that rising line is really what's going on in Ephesians chapter 6. See, it's not just that there's bad things. No. There are bad things in out to do you in, and those bad things are the forces of evil themselves. And once again, somebody would go, "Wayne, it all seems a little far fetched, just a little bit too far out there. I mean, it seems too fantastical. War in the heavens in some dark reaches of space, doesn't it, Wayne? It, it sounds like a, a, you know a, a made-up movie that they would put that would be called Star Wars." And go, you mean Star Wars isn't real? <laughs> Fred, our sound guy and I, we're quite convinced. Where did they get all the, the footage of all those battles if it's not real? And um, we think it's a documentary. <laughs> Actually, this cosmic battle that you see here in Ephesians 6 does appear like it's a little too much like some fantasy that comes out of Hollywood, right? It does seem a little far-fetched. However, it's found within the pages of the Bible. So what do we do with that? Well, may may I ask you to give some thought to this idea? This is what Christians believe according to the Bible. We believe that God sent his son to come to earth as a human baby, a God baby. It's kind of a little bit far-fetched, isn't it? We believe that baby was born of a young teenage girl who had zero, none, n- none whatsoever. No sexual experience, and yet somehow she ended up pregnant. Right. Seems a little far fetched, right? We believe that our misdeeds and sins are forgiven by that little baby as he grew up to be a man and he dies on a cross, and through his death, our sins are forgiven. Are you kidding me? Seems a little odd. We believe that the Bible contains words of life direction directly from heaven. If we live this way, our lives are better. Doesn't all of that seem a little far-fetched as well? But if we believe the scriptural story, then accepting the Bible's description of an ongoing cosmic battle is not all that far-fetched after all. Maybe we could put it in Star Wars terms. We're the army of the Lord. We're the rebellion against Satan. We're the rebellion against evil. The one who did rebel against God before time as we know it was created. And we have some responsibilities in this war. This war um, is something that we're playing a part in. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're not simply, excuse me, bystanders waiting for someone else to enter the fray. What did Jesus call us? He said, you are a city set on a hill. You're the light of the world. Friends, you and I, we are the army of the Lord. And as an army, evil has come against us in the past. Evil will come against us in the future. And for some here today, evil is really playing with you right now. And this battle of evil versus good has come to Christians because we, we, we by virtue of our faith in Jesus Christ, say, we're stepping into the warfare. But if that's the case, what are we going to do? How are we going to manage this battle? Well, let me give you some ideas today. First of all, when it comes to spiritual warfare in your life, I suggest, friends, that you lose the naivety. Don't be so naive as to think that you are skipping by you. Look again at the arc story of Scripture. The story arc that we have where says there's tension you know the author of that tension? Satan and his minions. Before Satan's temptations were accepted by the humans in the Garden of Eden, all was well. But once they allowed sin to enter humanity's, exist, into humanity's existence, the entire cosmos, not just human experience, but the entire cosmos is suddenly at war with itself and with evil. Paul the Apostle in Romans says that the, the cosmos, using that word, is groaning. Earthquakes and... And natural disasters—they're anything but natural. All the stuff that happens in the space when stars collide and everything—all of that was not the way God was intended to be. Death and disease and illness and struggles in relationships, chromosomal struggles and things that happen in lives of, of little babies, and all the this stuff we go: Why is this going on? I've got struggles at work. Not getting along with people. All of that was not the way in which God intended it to be. Christians who believe the truth of Scripture, we must pay attention to Paul's convictions. He says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's not about people, friends. But instead it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You could go through, if you will, you could go through a list of A to Z of all the ugly stuff, all the struggles of humanity. All of it is attributed to the mess that started in Genesis, all the work of Satan and his and his demons. A to Z. Anarchy. Letter A. It's the work of the devil. Bitterness is the work of evil. Combat is the work of evil. Discord is the work of evil. Envy is the work of evil. Fighting is the work of evil. The A to Z of suffering is the work of evil. Greed and hatred and illness and jealousy. Killing, loathing. What letter are we up to at that point? L. What's coming next? What would be a good word that begins with M that would say this describes the way in which evil impacts our world? Murder, right, or you go with N with the Nazis of the, of the 30s and 40s, or oppression, poverty, earthquakes, racism, slavery. It's all part of this war that we have against evil. Terrorism and unthankfulness, violence, warfare, xenophobia, or yelling. It's all part of the evil. Z, come up with your own word. Because I couldn't think of one. Don't kid yourself, friends. Every part of God's creation is a focal point of Satan's war against good, including humanity in general and particularly Christians marked with the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't be naive, friends. Accept the reality that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a target on your chest. You are marked and as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are Satan's enemy. Damage to you, however possible, is priority one of evil's intent. And notice what's coming your way, verse 16. Flaming arrows. They're aimed. Those arrows are aimed at the followers of Jesus Christ. So you're going, oh, now I'm scared. Well, yeah, I would suggest that even as you move past the naivety, don't panic. Do not panic. Why? Why? Because of the righteousness of God in you. The faith you expressed in Jesus Christ in your baptism. The truth of scripture that you poured into your life. That the church continues to pour into your life. The peaceful work of the Holy Spirit in you. It's all on your side. It is all part of the weapons that we have to fight spiritual warfare. Even death. You know, death would be considered Satan's trump card. Can I remind you that death has no hold on those who know Jesus Christ? Jesus' resurrection is the precursor of your resurrection. You win. After all, you carry the power of Jesus' name. Christians, we carry Jesus' name, and that name is the most powerful in the entire cosmos. There's a day coming when this mighty cosmic battle will conclude. And notice what happens at that moment, that God gave Jesus the name that is above every other name. That name is above every other name. And with that name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. So all the way through the entire cosmos, every being is going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And every tongue is going to proclaim that Jesus Christ is in charge. Evil and the personification of evil will bow to Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons that we encourage you to look at Scripture a lot is because the Bible just over and over again points to the reality of the power of Jesus' name. And I've come to this understanding, if I can help you know Scripture, then you learn the power of Jesus' name in your life. Because when we know the power of Scripture, we learn the stories of those who have gone before us, who have done what Paul said. This is how I'm living my life. He says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is now in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But not only to me, but to everyone. Also to all who have longed for Jesus appearing. So what's our responsibility? Fight the fight. Run the race. And do you notice how Paul says to do that in our passage of scripture? Beginning in verse um, 18. What's he say there? He says, pray. See, as, as we were thinking about this message um, and how to bring it to you today, um, we could spend all kinds of time talking about the metaphor, the armor metaphor that's used in this passage. And usually preachers, when they preach this message, they talk about the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit and all. They, they develop the armor. And I'd suggest maybe you could do that in your personal study this afternoon. But for us today, I want us to focus particularly on how Paul says, first of all, this is really taking place. And then secondly, pray about it. In the interest of this message today, we may look at that armor sometime in the future. Read these final comments from me, uh, with me regarding prayer. It's the same passage of scripture in the message. Can you read it out loud with me in all in all the rooms here in the West and the East and Lovington, even online? Let's read it out loud. Prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray long and hard. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep Keep your your eyes eyes open. (laughs) And don't forget to pray for me. Pray that I'll know what to say and have the courage to say it at the right time, telling the mystery to one and all. Paul sums up this discussion on spiritual warfare with a call to prayer. That's one reason why Les and I are leading prayer sessions on Saturdays right now, on Saturday mornings. Maybe I can put it this way, that one of my responsibilities as, if you will, the pastor of this church is to constantly assess our spiritual direction the fortitude of our congregation, the health of our congregation, and particularly how it relates to our responsibilities in the community. And something within me has some attention. You know, the Bible and Christians call that it may be a spirit of discernment or a word from the Lord. I, uh, there's just something within me that I haven't got it all figured out yet, but I'm aware. Here's my conviction that our church and our community is in the midst of a new battle against evil. Don't want to express all that just yet. I'm still trying to figure it out. But I know my, the best response to all of that is to be people who pray. So I'd invite you to join us on Saturday mornings at 8.30 from now through December 21. And let's pray. Let's implore God for direction and for blessing, for protection, for the life of First Christian Church and our community. What are we going to do about the economic struggles of our community? What are we going to do about the struggles between the races? And Is there racism in our community that we should be addressing? And so forth and so on. Um, in fact, um, to make this a little more clear today, it's why I'm calling everyone for prayer. Maybe I could tell you a personal story. And I want to be really careful that this is not self-serving. I'm going to remind you of a friend of mine that some of you have heard this story before. It's I'm not the Apostle Paul. I'm not suggesting that in any way. But like the Apostle Paul, I'd say pray for me and all the leaders of First Christian Church that we would know what to say and have the courage to say it at the right time, telling the mystery to all. And um, well, let me just put it this way. You, you, You heard me say earlier that we've in this moved to get through the Bible in 13 weeks, we've had to skip a good portion of the New Testament about how to live a Christian life and, and holiness and righteousness and um, Bible study. But, but I, I did bring to you one passage of Scripture that I said was interesting, and that's out of Romans chapter 16 when it says to greet one another with a holy kiss. What's that? Hmm. I'm, I'm not really a fan of that. I have a cold today. I don't think that'd be a good idea for me to be kissing everybody. I'm inclined to say uh, different time, different culture. and doesn't, I, I have had people, I, I have had people kiss me at moments along the way. Like Les and I, 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 not less than I, pardon me, I was in, in Leningrad as a 20 year old when it was Leningrad um, in a band Christian band we were playing and performing at the Baptist Church there, and um, the people of the Soviet Union had been told. This was in the middle height of the Cold War. They'd been told there weren't any young people who were Christians in the West, and there was an old man in the church there where we were playing, and it was jam packed. People people didn't sit down because when you sit down you spread out. They stood up, and it was literally wall to wall. Um, there was somebody sitting on the piano bench with me as I was playing. I mean, that was they were. You couldn't tell where we where the, where our band started and the, and the audience started. You know, it was just jammed full of people. And I Remember, out, right over there, was a, an older man crying all the way through the concert. I learned the reason he was crying later, because I didn't speak Russian. I don't speak Russian. As he'd been, he had accepted the Soviet lie that there were no Christians who were young in the West, and here we were, the answer to his prayer of years. He sat there and cried. Well, at the end of the service, or at the end of the concert, I was the first person he could get to. And he pulled me in, and held on for a long time. I don't know that I ever want to do that again. But Paul says, greet one another with a holy... But let me tell you about my friend Ed. When it comes to praying for the leaders of our church and engaging in spiritual warfare... Ed was in the church that Leslie and I served in Tulsa in the 1980s and 90s. He's dead now. He died a number of years ago. Um, He had a very, very rough life. Somewhere around the age of 12, he told me, he was playing ball one one afternoon and damaged his right foot. And I never really could figure out all the details, but somehow there was some bad doctoring be a good way to put it. He, he talked about how the, the bandage was wound too tightly around his foot. And by the time he got back to the, I mean, it's out in the prairies of Oklahoma in probably um, early 1900s, 1910, maybe somewhere around there, 1915. And um, he um, his foot got infected and he got gangrene. And so the decision was made that he should have his foot amputated and he said no way and the family said no way but he lived with pain all of his life as a result of that foot Um, self-medicated the pain with alcohol became an alcoholic and um, consequently uh, his family didn't like him because he was one of those fellows that when he got drunk he was mean and ugly and violent so his children, when they became adults, didn't want anything to do with him. And they literally walked out of his life. They never came back. Never came back. He got to age 50 and his wife died. He was a widower. Uh, the pain in the leg and the struggle in his leg became so, so acute that he did have his leg amputated just above the knee. At about the same time, he developed throat cancer. The only way to deal with that was to um, have a permanent tracheotomy installed. And so when I met him, in um, late, uh, in the mid-1980s, about 1983, 84. By then, he was an old man, well into his 70s, um, alone. He lived in, I'll just say, a decrepit little house, beat-up house, two blocks from the church we served. And he smelled. He came to Christ, and he would come into the church, and he'd come down the aisle, and he would sit about three rows back in the center, right there. And we were glad to have him. The reason he smelled it was because he was old. He didn't, with only one leg, he couldn't bathe very well. And um, in the years that he'd had a prosthetic leg, he, the physicians had asked him to try different kinds and they had all these new mechanical marvels that could help help him out. But he would always go back to his original wooden leg because he liked the weight of that leg. However, over years, as he would strap that leg to his thigh, and particularly in the Oklahoma summers, the sweat would run down out of across that thigh, down inside the leg, inside the wood, and over years that wood began to deteriorate. And he would, I would go by his house, and at times find him literally with a spoon scraping out the rotten wood down inside the leg. Are you ready for lunch? <laughs> and then he would take an old raincoat that he had that he kept for this purpose and he would cut it up and he would put that raincoat down there inside the cavity because he liked the weight of that leg being heavy and that's the reason as he continued to sweat that would run down inside that leg and he would it would smell we used to have a uh, prayer meeting in Tulsa in that church we served every tuesday morning six o'clock four people would come me two elders And Ed, if I could use this language kindly, Ed would clump into the meeting every Tuesday. It could be raining. It could be uh, snowing with ice on the ground. You wonder how he'd walk safely. It could be burning hot in Oklahoma weather. And he would arrive just literally drenched with sweat because it was an effort to walk. And um, he'd come into the meeting. And uh, we'd sit, the four of us, around a table in the kitchen of the church in the basement and we did it in the basement because he didn't have to walk on any stairs to get in that way it was a walkout thing and um, we'd sit around the table for maybe 35 or 40 minutes other people would pray I'd pray Ed was not a man with many words he used to have to hold something right here in order to talk and um, he wasn't a man who knew pious language or great theological axioms we would pray One prayer every Tuesday. God bless our pastor and his family. Amen. What's that? Maybe 10 words, perhaps? Spiritual battles were won by his prayers. Praying, according to Paul, wins the battle. He says, pray long and hard. I don't know if that's always words, but it is the intent. And I would say this, if Ed was to awkwardly clump his way into this building today and come down the center aisle and park himself in the third row, my left center aisle, you know what I'd probably want to go and do to him? I'd probably want to go up and kiss him. Say thank you for being a man of prayer. And for being a man who knew what happens when you pray when it comes to spiritual warfare. Let's pray. Father, we want to be people of prayer. I believe that. All of us in this room who follow Christ, we want to be people of prayer. Sometimes we don't know how to do it. We don't sometimes even know the reason why, but the reality is, God, we are involved in a battle. We're involved in a battle that is... (laughs) It's the forces of evil versus the forces of good. It is the work of God versus the work of Satan. It is us versus demons. And Lord, it is us um, stepping into the realities of where we live our lives, that we have been the recipients of evil and evil's influence. Not of our own doing, sometimes of our own doing, but not always. And Lord, there's this cosmic battle taking place. And in the name of Jesus Christ, in that all-powerful name, I pray for each person is participating in this worship service today. I ask God that you would enable them to be people who know the power of the name of Jesus Christ, who uh, step away from naivety, who uh, get involved in knowing the story of Scripture so that we will know how to fight the fight, how to run the race, how to be people who... Take on the forces of evil, Lord, and then we take them on in our lives. Lord, we fight against illness. We fight against ill health. we fight, Lord, we we would speak and fight against, in the name of Christ, we'd speak against relational problems and struggles at work and at school and in the house, in our families. Lord, we're not just gonna sit back and hope that somebody else takes that on. Instead, Father, we will step into it together in the name of Christ pray, Lord, for those who are here today, who have yet stepped across the line of faith. Give them great courage to uh, choose good over evil, to choose righteousness over unrighteousness, choose grace over works, and to choose the work of Christ in their lives, Lord, as we wait for the day when all is well. We rely on you totally. We are, in fact, God, I guess the word is desperate for your work in our lives and through our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. I've been inviting everybody, please, in both the East and West and in Lovington to stand together and let's be people who pray right now. Pardon, and as we pray, what I mean that by that is that there's gonna be a worship team in the rooms leading us in worship. And as they lead us in worship, we will be people who um, worship. And if you have a prayer need, uh, there'll be some folk at the front of each room. We'll be glad to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I don't know what it means to know Jesus, but I want to figure that out. We'd love to chat with you about that and maybe get to the point of prayer. If there are places in your life where you need some help or some matters of, man, this is really ugly what's going on right now and I need somebody to, if you will, to stand with me, to stand firm with me, then we'd invite you to step forward. Or if you're here today, say, this is really cool. I'm on the winning side on this matter right now. I want to thank the Lord. We'd love to pray with you as well. You come as we pray together, as we pray and sing together, please.